0: Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode.
1: There's something about stepping out of your culture and seeing it from far away and then gaining an understanding of the fact that that is just one way to live and that you happen to grow up in that way, but it's not the right way, it's not the way, it just happens to be one way in a larger world. Like when you open your mind in that way and understand that what you're a part of is really just one thing that you are a part of because of happenstance and where you were born and how you were raised, you start to question a lot of things. Right. And then you start to have a lot of realizations. And I think that one thing travel has really done for me is it gives you a lot of time to reflect and then ask those questions of yourself and then face them.
0: today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Jason Moore. He is the host and creator of the top-rated Zero to Travel podcast, which has over eight million downloads and over 500 five-star reviews on iTunes. On the podcast, Jason shares thoughtful interviews, unconventional perspectives, and actionable advice to help you travel the world on your terms. After his own experience traveling the world for a decade, he founded the Location Indie Community, and the Lifestyle Launch Academy, where he has now mentored hundreds of entrepreneurs, helping them build a side hustle and eventually break free from their nine to five job so they can do more of what they love in life. Jason is currently maintaining a base in Oslo, Norway with his wife and two kids. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for that glowing introduction. And uh, I was told to bring a beverage which I have. And I I actually went to the, what we call it in Norway here, the Vina Monopola, which is the wine monopoly, because they're just like, they're totally upfront about it. They're like, hey, we're the government, we own a wine monopoly and you have to buy from us. So I went to the wine monopoly today, direct translation, and I found a Oscar Blues, New England style IPA that I haven't tried before. And I was living in Colorado before I moved to Norway and Colorado really a lot of my heart's still in Colorado, man. So I grabbed a Colorado, original Colorado brew for this interview, and I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you here, my man. You are a legend. Let's not get carried away, Matt. Come on. Come on, man. You're an OG, <laughs> an OG in both the Nomad World Travel and the travel podcasting space. So I am super excited for this conversation. I have actually just opened to join you. I have opened a bottle of Barbaresco, oh. which is is an Italian red wine from the Piedmont region of Italy. It's made from the Nebbiolo grape and was one of the first four originally designated DOCG wines from Italy.
1: Are you a sommelier by any
0: chance? man, no, I just drink a bunch of wines. You know, I go to the wine store and I tell them the types of things. I was like, hey, I like this. What else would you recommend? You know, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, well, you should try this. And then I'm like, why should I try that? And then they tell me, and then I open it and I repeat it on my podcast. You know, this is what I'm drinking because I always told about this wine. And then it's a really cool way to just try a bunch of different stuff. If you have a good wine store and you have something you like, you go back to them and you say, hey, I loved this What else do you have or what other regions of the world would you recommend that I try something from that you think I might like? And what's been cool over the pandemic since I've been in one place for most of it, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina right now.
1: Oh, is that where you are? Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 The Blue Ridge Mountains, man. Western North Carolina. And I've just been able to kind of continually buy wine from the same wine shop and learn a lot about wines as they recommend new and different things to me. So it's been fun.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate. I had a real job once for a little while. <laughs> I worked at a, a wine and spirits company doing sales for a, a portfolio of brands in Colorado. And we did a lot of different trainings and we would go to some wine trainings. And I, I did do the level one Somali. I thing. I barely passed. But you know, I, I wouldn't call myself uh, at all a wine expert because like I said, I barely passed and don't remember any of it. But what I do remember is being in a room during the training with these master sommeliers who I think at the time there were like under 200 of them in the world. And you think it's a fake thing that somebody could just pick up a glass of wine and swirl it, smell it, taste it and be able to tell you exactly exactly what it is down to the year, where it's from, but they do it. It's so crazy impressive. I'm just like, wow, you can master something to that level. Cause I'm the guy that's got, I like to get my hands in a lot of different things. I feel like it's the jack of all trades, master of none syndrome, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, it is amazing. And for folks that are interested in learning more about exactly what you're describing, there's an incredible documentary on Netflix called Som, SOMM. I think they've now done a couple of subsequent follow ups to that documentary film, but it actually follows these master sommelier. In training, aspiring master sommeliers who are studying for the exam, which, as you mentioned, is one of the hardest exams in any category in the world. And there's only like 200 people that have ever passed it. Right. And it involves, among other things, The blind tasting where you have to taste wines blind and name what type of varietal it is, what region it's from, what year it is, all of that stuff just by smelling and tasting it. I mean, it's unbelievable.
1: Skull, by the way. That's what we say in Norway. And then uh, you have to. This is my second skull of the day because I did a podcast interview in person earlier, but I was skulling with coffee then. Now we're coming <laughs> with the real thing.
0: This is the late night session. I love that. Well, man, I would love to start off a little bit with Norway, because first of all, you just became a citizen. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, man, it's amazing. I would love to hear, though, from you because you're originally from the United States and now you're based in Norway with your Norwegian wife and your kids. And I would love to hear a little bit about for you. What do you love? about Norway other than obviously your wife and the people there. But as a country, you know, and your experience there, what are the highlights? Why should people visit Norway? What do you personally love about the country so much?
1: Yeah, it's funny because when I first came, you're in the traveler mentality, I feel, for a while when you come to it. Even if you're an expat and you move to a new place, it's still all so new. And some of the nuances of culture, you have to be in a place for a longer time. And sometimes around... For example, my in-laws, they're all Norwegian, of course. So just being around all of the traditions over a couple of years, you get to understand more about a country, right? And then learning the language gave me a deeper connection. And then I was able to participate in conversations, understand what people were saying. And that opened up a whole new thing. And then I could pick up some cultural nuance from the language as well, I feel. So all of these things add up to, I'm still an outsider, of course, but I feel like I have a, a pretty strong connection with Norway. And I, I understand the culture to an extent. I didn't grow up in it. So you're still, you know, you travel. I mean, you're still always going to be on the outside looking in, in some regards. So in that way, it can be challenging. But I do love that people value nature here. And they seem to be on board with, I don't want to say community, because that's another question. They are about community in terms of working together, cooperating not as maybe individualistic as people in America, where it's, it's, again, not that I'm criticizing America, but it's sort of by default. Like you have to kind of figure out, everybody's got to figure out their own situation. How am I getting my insurance? I got to hustle this, I got to do that. And here you have the systems, you have the social safety net. So it's easier to kind of cooperate, I think, on a mass scale. Now, out on the street, a lot of people mistake Norwegians for being cold, right? That's the Scandinavian stereotype, one of the negative stereotypes. But From my understanding, it's more of just their version of being polite. And one of their versions of being polite is just not really interacting on the street, which is kind of weird because, you know, in America, we're like, you know, you run into somebody and five minutes later, you're exchanging life stories and who knows what else after that. It's just different. What I love, I think, is just the value around nature and lifestyle and how do I say this? It's not everybody, but there is a certain level of anxiety, I feel, that saturates American culture because there's so much you gotta do all the time. And here people work, you know, if they have a regular job, I mean, they work from eight to four and they're done at four pretty much for the most part, right? And they're out riding their bike or hiking or doing whatever. And I feel like people here are better at sort of leaving the work behind and making sure they have the time for themselves or with their family or whatever and you know all of that when everybody's doing that you're just around it all the time and it's kind of like living in a beach town all the time you know in the beach town it's kind of sort of laid back people are like you know they're doing their jobs i mean not that people don't stress everybody has their own issues everywhere but there's sort of this laid back beach town knee vibe kind of which i like
0: Well, you're saying nature, but let's be honest, man. And I've never been to Norway, but I have seen pictures of the fjords and you are talking about some of the most jaw-dropping landscape on the planet of Earth in Norway. Have you been out to the fjords? I mean, give us a sense of what is that like, man, because I've never been.
1: Yeah. When I first came to Norway, (laughs) well, that was a funny story because I, I came to visit my wife I'll give you the short version. Well, we met in Brazil at a hostel. We had this connection, but then we weren't in touch for like four years after that for a variety of reasons. And then we got back in touch. We started talking and things were sort of ramping up. And then we're just like, well, if we're going to keep talking, we should probably meet up. So we met up in New York. You know, it was like four, four and a half years later to see if there was still a thing there. And there was. So we spent this handful of days in New York and then I decided to come visit her. And I called her up and said, I bought a plane ticket. I'm coming to visit you. And she's like, awesome. How long are you staying? I was like, three months. And then it was just dead silence on the phone. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because
1: in my head, it was kind of like, well, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done it that way. But it was like, you know, it was an all or nothing thing, right? We couldn't really live down the street and date each other over a period of time. And I'm a traveler. Uh, at the time, I didn't have kids. So I was thinking, well, if it doesn't work out or whatever, I'll just go to Eastern Europe or I'll go travel around and live somewhere else for a couple months. I don't know if she was thinking <laughs> that way because I was coming into her apartment and everything. Long story short, it worked out. We're married. We have two kids. I think it's still working out. You'll have to ask her. So then when I first came, I was like, well, let's do a road trip around Norway so I can get to know this country. So we rented a car and did a road trip. And I got to see some of those fjords. Right off the bat. And it is you know, jaw dropping is the right word, I'd say. I mean, there was at one point we did this hike one afternoon in this place on the West Coast. And if you turned one way, you were looking at a glacier and feeling cold air blowing off a glacier. And if you turned around the other way, it's just epic fjord, mountain cliffs, stuff you see on, I mean, Lord of the Rings was in New Zealand, but that kind of vibe, you know? And It's just like you're looking at some painting that maybe you could imagine in your head, but you would think, I could imagine a painting like this, but I couldn't really see something like this because this this is extreme beauty, right? But just incredible. So anyway, it rained a lot on that trip. So then my wife was a little angsty. So then we went to Greece for, for a week.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, I want to go all the way back, Jason, and just ask a little bit if you can give us some context for your upbringing, where you grew up and how your interest in travel developed as you were coming up.
1: I grew up outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. Anybody that grew up in the suburbs, I'm 46, so it was, you know, 80s, early 90s, pre-internet. Nice place to grow up, I'd say, but also a bit of a bubble where it was just sort of expected. You go to college, you get a job, you go into debt, you go into college debt, you pay it off somehow with all the apartments and the cars. I didn't encounter anybody that was living unconventionally and nor was I encouraged to live unconventionally, right? And there were no blogs or podcasts or websites to tell you that you could live unconventionally. (laughs) So Coming out of that suburban lifestyle, which it was, no complaints, it was nice growing up. I have some great friends. But anywhere you grow up, man, there can be messed up things, right? In hindsight, the suburbs at that time were kind of like a fucked up place in some ways. No place is perfect, but for a variety of reasons, you know, lack of diversity, lack of exposure to a lot of different things in the world. But, you know, at the same time, I had like the safe area. We could go skateboard. A lot of different mixed emotions for growing up in the suburbs. I'm not regretting. It's just, it was just my experience. Right. But that experience, I guess my point is that experience didn't lend itself to me, you know, oh, well, okay, I'm going to go start traveling around the world. Gap year isn't really a thing in the United States like it is in Australia or England. So I didn't really know. Now, thankfully, you know, my dad, he was an adventurous guy and he would take us camping and do different things. He was always into doing different things like that, mostly camping trips. So, That gave me the travel bug pretty early on. I'm like, this is cool. We can just drive somewhere and go camping. And then we're in this totally different place. And this was just around the East Coast. Now, the furthest we went was Virginia. But it was enough to wet my travel whistle, I suppose. And then I went to college at Penn State. And I remember one year, a bunch of my friends went to study abroad. I just wrote it off as something you couldn't do. Because in my head, it's like, well, I can't afford to study abroad. Which is, I think differently now. sometimes. Certain stages in life, I feel like you have the blinders on for no reason at all. Then you start opening your mind and understanding that, hey, maybe things are possible. You have to just kind of see what's out there. But I, I just wrote it off. Anyway, a lot of friends show me pictures, talking about their experience. And then I just became fascinated with this idea of going and backpacking around Europe because I found out it was a thing that people were doing from my friends who went to study abroad. So that was my plan coming out of college. But it was still scary for a guy that had never been really overseas outside of Mexico for spring break in high school. And that, was, you know, that wasn't really a cultural experience, I would say. Well, maybe in some ways. So I just remember getting on a plane. And this was after I took a job touring around the U.S., which that, that worked out really well, because at a point I was offered a regular job and... Kudos to my mom because I was sleeping on her couch at the time. I was just like, man, if I do this regular job, I'll have to get an apartment or something. Isn't that what you do? And then I really want to do this travel thing. And she's like, well, then don't do it. Do, do what you want to do. And I didn't have hardly any money. But I was going to start applying to restaurants and just I'm like, I'll just be a waiter or something. And then I will save money and go traveling. But I decided to apply for some travel jobs. So I ended up landing into the event marketing industry, getting a job, managing a charity event, that went to different Kmart's around the country. We set up a racetrack, and kids would race modified lawn tractors around a parking lot, and <laughs> they would donate five dollars for every kid that raced to a, to a, a local drug prevention charity. So I got to travel all over the U.S. doing that, meeting people in from all walks of life in different cities. We went to amazing experience. Found another gig, took it, and then I took the money I saved up and went on my solo backpacking trip. To Europe, and that was two months, and it totally transformed me. It opened my eyes. Then I met people in person. I met the Australians who were traveling for three, four years. I met the people that made my little couple month trip seem like, oh, well, this isn't a big deal as much as I thought it was. And oh my God, there are people out here who are just making travel their life. They're not just going on a trip and then coming home and then like starting a regular life. Their life is traveling. Have you ever gotten the feeling when something feels right and you get like a body buzz, like it's on a visceral level?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: I had that for two months, basically. It was insane. It was almost like a spiritual experience. And I was just like, well, I got to keep doing this. I'm not going to stop. And after traveling in the States and then traveling through Europe, it really just set me off on travel being my main lifestyle. Like I just... It was just locked in. You know, at first I thought the the trip around the country was just like, oh, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. And then the backpacking trip was a once in a lifetime thing. And then I'd go to a regular sort of status quo existence. But it was just not possible because my mind had just been blown wide open.
0: So I want to hear about this first backpacking trip to Prague that you started to tell me about. I wanted to, to save the story for the podcast, man. But what happened there and how was it?
1: There were definitely some mishaps. I mean, anytime you travel... I have travel mishaps all the time still, even after a lot of travel experience. But you know, the first time, way over pat. I mean, so many things, right? I didn't bring a towel. I used to my t-shirt for a towel, I think for two months. Just funny things. But yeah, in Prague, I got so lost. We went out drinking, I think. Yeah, I was with, the, I was with these guys and we were all together. And then we're at this bar, that bar. And then like... At, at some point, like one guy got lost and there was like three of us. It was like me and these two twins. And then we none of us could figure out how to get home because we were all staying 20 minutes outside of town in some hut by the river instead of staying in some hostel downtown. So one of the brothers went on to ask the bus driver how we get home, but nobody understood. He just shut the door and he drove off. So we were just with sad faces waving. So then it was just me and this other guy. So then we got on a train. We thought it was the right one. We ended up going all the way out probably in the opposite direction to the last stop in the train. And we're like, are we supposed to get off here? We we started talking to the driver, but he didn't see me wanting anything to do with us. So then we got off and we started walking around in these fields and there were cops there, but they didn't see us because that probably would have been a problem. And then we're like, well, let's just get back on the train. What are we doing? So we got back on the train. He left like an hour later. And then we came back downtown by this point. People are going to work. It's rush hour. And we're still sort of half drunk, half hungover, like, how do we get home? What happened was in Prague, I don't know if it's still the case, but they changed the numbers on the tricks and the buses at night, the trams and the buses. So if we took the 126 or whatever in, after 11 o'clock, it becomes the 12. And then at nine o'clock in the morning again, it becomes the 126 or whatever. But we didn't know that. so And there was no Google Maps or anything. So we had no idea where we were. And eventually we got home around, I think, 10, 30, 11 in the morning. We figured it all out when the bus started running again with our number on it. We finally found it.
0: Man, I can remember what you're saying brings back so many memories for me because I studied abroad in college hmm. in Ireland in the late 90s also. And my roommate and I took the month for winter break and we went backpacking through Europe, right? We got the Rail pass for a month, hop on, hop off in 17 countries and just went there. And man, there are so many instances of just like what you're saying. I mean, I remember like we were supposed to meet somebody in Vienna, Austria. And we were in Munich, and I can remember going up. We were racing because we were late for our train. I was like, Is this the train that goes to Austria? And the train conductor guy in his German language says, Nein. <laughs> which of course means no in German. But I turned to my roommate and I was like, it's in bin nine, run. And so we're running down to bin number nine and jump on that train, which of course is not going to Austria. <laughs> so we go completely in the wrong I mean, there's so many of those kind of mishaps when you're first out there, like your first backpacking travel experience. And uh, it's just, but that makes the adventure, right? Like it's at the time, it's like stressful and frustrating and all this, yeah. but then you look back at it, you're like, well, and then we got on the wrong train to this place, But then at that place, this other thing happened. And then it was like, you know, it's just kind of like this ongoing adventure, man. What an amazing time.
1: That's a great story. Nine. And then (laughs) running, Let's go. We got to get on nine. Not even (laughs) thinking that there's a beauty in that naivete uh, that comes early on. Right. In some ways, because the trip still goes on. It's just another story to tell later. No big deal, right?
0: Exactly right, man. And you have a number of amazing stories. I want to hear about the time that you did a hitchhiking race around Scotland.
1: That was a pretty special time in my life because, well, so I was part of this Facebook group and a buddy of mine, Gary. I got to give him a shout out. He founded this really big Facebook group for nomads that took off, and a lot of hitchhikers and people traveling and you know budget travel. Traveling long term in that group, and he decided to organize a hitchhiking race in his home country of Scotland, so it was a total grassroots. It was just this dude, Gary, that put this together, and he's like, "Hey, just come to Scotland, we're going to do this race. He set up this map with eight iconic checkpoints around the country, and you can wild camp in Scotland, so I'm just like, you know, I was going to get married in June. this is June of two thousand fourteen so Within two months, I think, of getting married, it might have even been close to that, I did my first sort of... Not my first, but we. I had a really great month as an entrepreneur and hit a certain financial goal where I thought if I ever hit this goal, I just... like Something switched in my head, man, because I was doing location-independent work as a freelancer for a while, but it was sort of a full-time gig, right? But I could be location-independent. This flip switch and we did this project and it took off and I was just like, and another online business I had made some commissions and I made some commissions. My thing was just like, I can't work for somebody full-time anymore. This is it. So I quit my full-time freelancing gig, my steady gig. And I went on this hitchhiking race in Scotland and I got married all within like a month or something. It was it was crazy. So I quit my job and then I'm like, all right, I'm going hitchhiking and we're getting married in like three weeks. She's like, what are you Doing what am I signing up for? This is crazy. So you know, maybe in hindsight you could talk to my wife. I think she maybe had to do some bit of extra wedding planning type stuff while I was hitchhiking. But here we are, still married.
0: How'd you do in the race?
1: Got second place.
0: Nice.
1: It was great, man. So there was like twelve of us. We met in Edinburgh, and then we found a place to camp outside of town. We all had a big party, fire, beers, and then the next morning we all packed up our tents and. Yeah, it was six teams, two and three teams decided to go east, went west. And it was hilarious when we when we started the race because we're all sort of bunched together. We kind of spread out. But, you know, somebody would get a ride and we're like, beep, beep at those people. Like, we're like, yeah, we're off. <laughs> it was really an incredible three days. Have you gone hitchhiking before? I have not. Yeah, it's quite an experience to share rides, get rides from people and share this intimate space with them, just person after person and kind of step into their lives for a little bit. And a lot of times people that pick up hitchhikers, they want to share, they want to talk. And there's this, you're not really contributing in terms of maybe gas money or anything like that. You're hitching a ride, but you're contributing with listening and your energy. And we got fed at uh, some woman's restaurant. We got taken home to these people that had this, this couple that had this cutest kid ever and they were kind enough to make us a meal and then after the meal she drove us to our next checkpoint which was this awesome castle where we got a ride in this RV we didn't even expect to make it that far we got a ride from a family in Winnebago we've got a ride on a Sunday from some woman where we weren't we were having a hard time getting a ride in the city she went complete like she just picked us up and gave us a ride and drove her what is normally her commute on Sunday, not because she was going that direction. She basically was going home, which was a minute or two away from where we were. Instead, she drove us like a half hour out of town, out of her way. Another couple, like an older couple drove us like 45 minutes up a mountain just to get a picture. They weren't even going that way. It was just like, wow, people are so kind. And if you throw yourself out, I mean, it's just such a great experience to throw yourself into the universe like that. And of course, you have to be safe and stuff like that. But It's definitely can restore your faith in humanity if you've lost any.
0: Well, I want to extrapolate that out to your travel experiences overall, because I think that's a a great sort of micro example of some of the impact that travel can have. And. As you continued to travel and as you've been to all of these places over all of these years, and you've done a lot of deep, immersive travel as well, I'm wondering just in terms of your reflections on those experiences on you, the over, what is the overall impact, do you think, or some of the different pieces of impact that you can really identify from your travel experiences?
1: There's something about stepping out of your culture and seeing it from far away and then gaining an understanding of the fact that that is just one way to live and that you happen to grow up in that way. But it's not the right way. It's not the way. It just happens to be one way in a larger world. And to me, I think travel in that way, obviously, you can say, well, it opens your mind. That's sort of the cliche, right? But it's not just opening your mind to different cultures. Like when you open your mind in that way and understand that what you're a part of is really just one thing that you are a part of because of happenstance and where you were born and how you were raised, you start to question a lot of things, (laughs) right? And then you start to have a lot of realizations. And I think that one thing travel has really done for me is it gives you a lot of time to reflect and then ask those questions of yourself and then face them as opposed to kind of just going through the motions, maybe like I was before. You're really face-to-face with a lot of situations, people, good things, bad things, that make you ask yourself big questions and sort of force you to answer them. For me, that helped me understand more about myself, and not just the world we live in, but about myself. So it, it's just done so much for me. And that's just a snippet of one of the many things that Travel's done for me.
0: Well. In the beginning of our conversation, one of the things you said that I related to a lot was when you described the neighborhood that you grew up in, because I also grew up in the suburbs, very homogeneously super majority, white, upper middle class, all of those kind of dynamics. And so, you know, I'm curious for you if you can share any of those, you know, specific realizations or how your worldview may have changed or certain things you realized with respect to power and privilege and, and, and sort of all of that as you were traveling? How did your social consciousness or your worldview develop from travel? Oh, gosh. I mean, how
1: can it not,
0: right? You take a bus somewhere
1: in a, what some might call third world country, and you see how the majority of the world lives. You don't see it on a TV screen and a commercial in between an infomercial or whatever. You see it with your own eyes. You know, you go through villages where people are staying in, in straw huts and sleeping on... They, they just might not have a lot. And you, you sleep in those situations sometimes. You stay in those places. And the more you kind of strip away... You know, first of all, you're just carrying the stuff with you that you can carry. So there's one thing that I think the minimalism... You know, travel's forced minimalism. I always say that. So I learned that I loved minimalism because I traveled. It wasn't like, oh, I have to learn about minimalism and you know this is a part of travel. The travel forced the minimalism on me and then I realized, oh, you don't need a lot of stuff to be happy. In fact, having less stuff makes me happier. Again, coming from a privileged standpoint where it's voluntary, right? But that was a huge long-term life lesson because it totally changed my relationship with stuff right to this day i mean i have more stuff than i ever had now cuz i have two kids and i live somewhere but even still i love getting rid of stuff and i'm super selective with the things that i bring into my life and if i accidentally like as we all do sometimes buy something that you know i end up like not using or it just wasn't what i thought it was i get i'm like so angry you know i'm like this thing it just completely changed my relationship with things which changed my relationship with consumerism as a thing right it's just not something i'm really interested in i don't do a lot of shopping i don't care to i think a lot of that comes from travel and again living in these different places around the world seeing how people live i mean it can't not change you right i mean yeah, you just your level of gratitude just goes through the roof with what you have and where you've come from because a lot of people out there would really love to be in uh
0: without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode.
1: A place where they, they could have running water and things like that.
0: One of the concepts that I've heard you talk about is traveling deeper. And I wanna ask you if you can talk a little bit about that. And specifically, maybe the way I'll sort of frame this question is just to preface it with the fact that you and I obviously love hanging out with other travelers. We (laughs) have podcasts where we interview other travelers. We value communities of travelers and all of that. I feel though that sometimes, if someone's exclusive experience is hanging out with travelers, bouncing from expat hub to expat hub, hanging out only at expat bars and only with other travelers, there's a way to miss a lot of the travel experience that way. Absolutely. And I'm wondering how you, first of all, balance that. And two, if you can talk about this concept of traveling deeper, what that means to you and what tips you have for connecting with the place and the people where you're traveling
1: well let's start with the connecting with the locals because i feel like the expat thing is it's a valid point it's pretty easy it's kind of up to you to manage that right it's your responsibility as a traveler i would say well we can start there you can almost use the is it an analogy or a metaphor i'm always confused We think about your relationship with your smartphone right When you're traveling or in your life, how much are you going to let it interfere or not interfere or be a part of your thing or not be a part of your thing? You can read all the tips in the world, but nobody can force you to get off your smartphone or whatever. So you have to manage the relationship you have with your smartphone when you're traveling or in life. It's kind of the same with the expat bubble thing, right? It's very easy to pull out your smartphone and just be on it. It's very easy to stay in the place where, all the backpackers are staying. It's very easy to just go out with all the travelers in the hostel because they're there and they're all going out. It's easy. It's easy to go on the tours, meet other travelers, and then just hang out with them. So you have to make the effort to get out of that, right? You have to make the effort to talk to locals, to put yourself out there, to not be afraid to get out of that bubble. Nobody can make you do that <laughs> but you. And for some people, like it's comes naturally maybe or more easily for others. It might be a bit of work and and it's like a delicate balance, right? Because you can't go out with an expectation like, well, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet a local and I'm going to get invited to their house for dinner. It doesn't work that way, right? But what you can do is, well, I feel like energy is something that is underestimated in terms of a... I wouldn't call it a skill, but like a thing, right? I feel like a lot, like there'll be a lot of people out there listening and be like, oh, well, if we're talking about energy, we're putting that in like the woo-woo camp, right? And other people, like they're crazy, right? But I mean, everybody's experienced this in their life. You've experienced when you've been in a room and there's somebody in the room that's dysfunctional or something and they suck the energy out of the room or they're just a certain way and and it kills the vibe and, you know, it's energy, right? So we all give out off a certain type of vibe and energy, What kind of vibe and energy are you giving off when you're out in the world? Sometimes we, I think can, I mean, I've done both, right? I've been, you know, especially when I first land in a place and I'm not familiar, I'm like, oh, you know, you're kind of maybe like verging on uh, paranoid. Where am I going to get scammed? What's going on? Are these taxis legit? You know, where's my wallet? How many places do I have my money hidden? You know, all this type of stuff. But eventually, you know, you have to kind of give off an energy that's inviting, I suppose. And if you can give off an inviting energy, that's one thing. Things can happen. You know, you open yourself up to conversations. You're approachable then in a different way, I feel. And then interactions can start happening. And then you have to trust in people. You have to have the conversations. You have to take the next step. I remember being in uh, Vietnam and it was like my first day there. And I was in Hanoi and I was walking around the lake there. And I just got there. I was I was sort of jet lagged, you know. But there were some younger boys. They were probably, I don't know, 16 or 17 or something. And they come up to me and they wanted to just chat and practice their English. Now I was jet lagged. I like just got there. I could have just written them off and be like, what is it with these guys? What do they want? They're going to ask me for money, whatever. But I didn't do that. I just sat on a bench with them and like, cool, let's talk English. You know, well, what books are you reading? We just started having a chat. And the next thing I know... We were off on the other side of the lake and deep in this neighborhood and they were taking me to the best pho soup stand that they knew about that I never would have gone to if I didn't just chat with them. And, you know, what the hell do I have to do? I'm just there. I'm just walking around. sit down and speak English with these guys. Let them talk their English, uh, practice their English, talk their English. (laughs) Who needs to talk English? Me boy, it's been a while since I've had a 7% beer. Um, (laughs) 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 So that's one example of just like an openness and then a willingness to kind of trust somebody and just be present. And then where will this lead? Well, you don't have any expectations, but if it leads somewhere, maybe you just take that opportunity and you go with it. And that type of attitude and that type of approach, I feel can lead to a lot of magical things with locals. And of course there are strategies with Seeking out local businesses and and, talking to guys and finding out where the local places are, asking around. I always say one easy thing to remember that I always say if you want a practical tip is don't ask Google, ask people. So you just ask, talk to people. It just forces you to talk more to other people. Don't go on TripAdvisor, just ask around. And a lot of times if you hear the same thing three times, if you hear the same restaurant three times from three different people, you should probably go check it out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great tip. And it's particularly exponentially relevant when you're in places that don't have as much of an infrastructure for that kind of stuff. For example, I was in Lagos, Nigeria for about a month and- what we ended up doing to find the best, you know, night spots to go to and the best sort of restaurants and all that kind of stuff is we just started asking the Uber drivers, where do you go right, to go dancing at night? Like after work, where will you be? Right. If you want to have the best Jalof in Lagos, where do you go to get that? Right. So, yeah. Because a lot of times when you're asking people things, they will think, oh, this is a tourist and they will want a particular type of place or a particular type of thing, and they'll send you to a place that might be popular with other tourists.
1: They're like TGI Fridays, it's right around the corner.
0: And they think they're giving you what you're asking for. They're like, oh well, all the That's other tourists cool. go here. Clearly I should send them there because this is what tourists like and they think they're helping you. And so when you flip it around, you say, hey where do you go? I remember in that same trip in Lagos, exactly what you just said, just started chatting with locals on the beach, talking with these two guys who were aspiring rappers, right? They're working on their music careers, this kind of stuff. So we started talking about hip hop and all this kind of thing. And then I said, you know, where's the best spot to go out here at night? And they said, actually, there's an amazing night spot. It's an Indian restaurant. They serve Indian food. And then at night, this DJ comes on and plays these Afro beats and it's like an unbelievable night spot. I said, you're telling me there's a combination of my favorite food in the world, Indian food. And also it's one of the best nice spots in Lagos, Nigeria, and it plays Afrobeats. They're like, yeah, it's, it's here. We're like, that's unbelievable. We'd love to go. Do you guys go there? Do you-? you know, so they ended up meeting us there. We ended up hanging out. It ended up being unbelievable Indian food because of course there's large Indian populations in the former British colonies in Africa, mm-hmm. right? So there's like an incredible Indian culinary scene there and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think those types of tips are really, really good ones, Jason. I appreciate that.
1: That sounds epic, man. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to ask you about your hip hop djing days on my you know we're gonna have you over on my podcast so if you guys want to get into matt's head a little bit we're gonna do that over on the zero to travel podcast so don't be afraid to dive in i hope he's not afraid you know i used to be in a rap band in high school so maybe with your dj skills and my old rapping we could get a little something something going
0: we lived the glory days that's amazing, brother. We'd love that. Yeah, we'll definitely link up the Zero to Travel podcast episode with me on it in the show notes for this episode as well. So people can go there and check it out when the tables <laughs> are turned and you're interviewing me. But I think this is a really good jumping off point to talk a little bit about your community building Work amongst travelers, amongst location independent entrepreneurs, and people that are wanting to make that transition from the nine to five job to be able to have more control over their life, to have more control over their mobility, and to travel. Can you talk a little bit about the Location Indie community that you have created and built? Maybe just the origin and the impetus for creating that and what it is today, what it offers?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, Location Indie started, it's I N D I E, by the way sort of short for location independent, right? Travis and I, my business partner, we found each other through another conference in a community and we just saw so much value in community. We were both travel podcasters. We met at this conference. We were both travel podcasters. We were both from outside of Philadelphia, but we didn't know each other from that. And we did a project together. It worked pretty well. And then we started talking about starting a community because we realized we didn't have a place to go to meet other people that were not just into kind of having their own location independent business, but they were into the lifestyle, the travel lifestyle, living unconventionally, getting out there, seeing the world. And so we're proponents of lifestyle business, right? You're looking at the lifestyle that you want to lead, and then you're designing the business around that like you have, right? It's a it's a holistic approach to business because it just changes the way you make decisions around your business and might even change the business types that you go into or what model you choose or what industry, I mean, maybe not industries because there's models that work I feel in every industry, but it just changes things because you're putting it through the lens of the lifestyle. So Location Indie and our Lifestyle Launch Academy, which is our coaching program and it's a course coaching in the community is all about that, right? It's like figuring out what your ideal lifestyle is, dialing that in, and then putting everything through that lens and helping you make decisions that are based around the lifestyle that you wanna lead and making sure that everything fits together in a more holistic way. And I think with COVID and everything, this great awakening has sort of happened on a bigger scale, right? I mean, I've read these articles, you've probably seen them where people are quitting their jobs more than, Ever. I mean, it's just like people are realizing, well, I I don't know if it's the combination of death is always a little bit over our shoulders, right? We never know when it's going to come. But this was a a very strong reminder that it can come anytime. And then people started to question, hey, what am I doing? Do I really want to commute to this job every day, you know, just so I can pay for all this stuff that what if I just moved to Thailand and rented an apartment for 400 bucks a month? Then... Maybe I could start a different kind of business and I would only have to earn a thousand. But, you know, all these questions kind of start coming up. So Location Indie, we scratched our own itch, right? We're like, we want to be around other people that think like this. We want to be around other people that are into this location-independent movement, are into the whole digital nomad thing, are into just building a business that allows them to have that freedom and shared values in that way. So we started a community because we thought, well, feel like with our podcasts and everybody that we've interacted with through the audience there, that there are a lot of like-minded folks. Maybe we can bring everybody together and just create this platform where people can help each other grow. And that's what we did. So starting, it was funny um, from a business perspective. I would recommend this to anybody if you want to start a project like this or something else. Travis and I go to Ocean City, New Jersey in the middle of winter. There are no bars open. (laughs) It's like, there was like one restaurant. We didn't have a car. We stayed at this house and all we had was three days to just make this thing, right? We're like, all right, we're making a community. It's going to be for location-independent entrepreneurs and unconventional living types. Okay. Well, we had to start going through it. What are we actually offering? What are people going to get? What are we going to put on the webpage? How are we going to launch it? Let's make some videos. It was like three days of just we went into this weird black hole in Ocean City, New Jersey, where Travis beat me in skee ball a hundred times and we' just lived in this place and wandered around the town like two derelicts and just lived and breathed starting this new business thing. And then we launched it long afterwards. And we had about 50 plus people join in that first launch. And we're just like, okay, there are other people that want to connect in this way too. So this is cool.
0: That's amazing. Well, you also have the Lifestyle Launch Academy, and I know you've now mentored hundreds of entrepreneurs in helping people to transition from the nine to five to being able to travel the world and be location independent. Can you talk a little bit about your concept of the triangle of freedom and also the process with which you use to teach people on how to transition from the nine to five to the location independent lifestyle?
1: Yes, the triangle of freedom. It's our catchy term for the three freedoms that really everybody wants, right? It's time, financial, and location freedom. And what's interesting is the priorities around those freedoms can change, right? For me, originally, because I wanted to travel, I was dating a girl in Norway, I was all about the location freedom. I was working full time doing the freelancing stuff as a location independent entrepreneur. But I didn't need the time freedom as much. I wanted it eventually, but the priority was the location freedom. I wanted to be able to work from anywhere. If I couldn't work from anywhere, then that was like my number one priority, right? Now it's shifted. Now it's more on the time freedom and working towards the financial freedom, right? So these are like three freedoms that, I mean, they're pillars in everybody's life, right? If you can have time, location, and financial freedom, as far as I'm concerned, you got it pretty sweet, right? And I think, you know, time freedom is probably one of the more valuable ones because they're the most valuable because we can't buy time back, right? So with the Lifestyle Launch Academy, we do have it structured right now with three sections. We have a lifestyle portion where first, in order to understand where you're going, you have to understand where you want to be. And the only way to do that is by really diving in and really taking the time to truly understand what kind of lifestyle you want. Again, this can be an ever-shifting thing, but for you right now, right now in this moment, where you are in your life and your situation, Travis and I actually just did a... We have a podcast called Location Indie about this stuff. And Uh, We just did a two-year lifestyle redesign because things change. You change as a person. You meet new people. You have different interests. And that's one thing that's, I think, important to remember. This isn't a static thing. That's what I love about the triangle of freedom. It's you can like work towards these things, but you can kind of make it fit with what you have going on right now. So figure out the lifestyle you want. And then we have a section on the mindset stuff, which is you have to break beliefs that are holding you back. And you have to identify the things. Like, I mean, you've... (laughs) Everybody listening knows, you know, there've been times in your life where there's a deep belief, unconscious or conscious, that prevents you from doing the thing you want. Maybe you realize it later. So it's really important to dig that out at the root. So it's there's nothing blocking you from moving forward. And then we have the business aspect, which is getting you going with your location-independent business and getting it to a point where... You know, helping you select a business that matches your ideal lifestyle goals and getting you on your way, essentially. So that's what we do.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I also want to ask you, of course, about the podcast. You are one of the OG travel podcasters, and I'm really curious about your podcasting journey in terms of starting the podcast and launching it all the way until today, where you have 8 million downloads of the Zero to Travel podcast, which is amazing. And I'm curious as well, just, I mean, as a fellow podcaster, what, as you were doing the show, other than, I mean, there's two obvious success pillars. One is make really good quality content that adds value. And the other is do it incredibly consistently. So you've obviously done both of those things. But in addition to that, still growing it to 8 million downloads is an incredible accomplishment. And I'm wondering if you can think about or reflect or share what you think some of the biggest leverage points were along that journey to boost your audience growth.
1: That is a tough question because the two things you just said were the things that I would say. Being consistent and creating quality content. But the third piece is, and this is for business too, I mean, this would be like my best business tip, is just actually caring about the people that you're serving and the people that are listening. And with audio, you can't hide behind hundreds of hours of audio. Like People kind of understand, don't start a podcast because you think it's just a marketing thing for my business and everybody has podcasts. So you know, I'm going to start one too, because I'm going to get a lot of leads. I mean, it can serve a business function. But when I started my podcast, I didn't start it because I was going to like have some crazy business strategy that went with it. It was like, oh, I've traveled around and I had all these conversations in these hostels and met all these amazing people and heard all these different ways that people were traveling the world that I didn't know you could do all this. And it opened my mind and made me realize there are a lot of different ways to do it. And it kept me traveling for many years. And then I, the, the longer I traveled, the more people I met, the more I realized there's plenty of different ways to keep traveling and to make it work for your situation. And I just just got to the boiling point where I'm like, people need to know this. They need to like, this shouldn't be just a one-off conversation that I had. Like There are a lot of people doing this in different ways People need to hear this, and and I just want to share it. I just felt that it was a good thing to do to help people travel, and I think for me, it was kind of aligned with my life's purpose, I guess, because I always got a rush from helping people travel. Not because oh, I, I can feel like an expert now, but it was because if like people came to me and they saw I did a lot of traveling and they knew and they wanted to do it, I knew how much it gave to me to my life and i'm like well if they want to do it and i'm in a position to help them then let me do that i'm happy to help and the podcast was a way that i could do that on a much larger scale so it was really a way to just help people travel who wanted to do it and as far as growing the audience i mean you could google all the tactics right like you know it's like go on other people's do it like this we're doing a show swap right here here's a meta Tactic right here. We're, uh, you know, you're coming on my show. I'm coming on your show. Well, maybe we'll bring some new listeners over. There's all these things you can do, but in the end, I think uh, an interview show, specifically at least for me, I can only speak from my experience. It's about caring about your community and the listeners and the audience, and letting them know that and helping them as much as you can, providing value, and yeah, I'd say being accessible. I'm an interview show, and not everybody's an interview show, but I think you have to be really specific with who you bring on and what's going to be the angle, what's going to be the approach, what's going to, you know, think of the audience first, what is going to provide value to the audience in this interview. And that's really important when you're doing an interview show, because, you know, there are a lot of people making the rounds on podcasts, right? And you have to be selective, I would say, and treat it like a profession, Right? Treat it like a craft. I think that's one thing that's really important. If you're starting a podcast, be committed. It's a lot of work. And if you're going to interview people, interviewing is a skill, it's a craft. Work at it, study it, try to improve on it. You know, sometimes I feel like I take a couple steps forward and three steps back. You know, I I had an interview today. I'm like, did it go well? And I think it went well, but could have gone better. Was I, I didn't ask this question. I could have looped in this way on this topic. It's a craft. So, I guess show up like a professional. I always like when I'm having a hard time making a decision on something when it comes to business. One of my go-to questions is, "What would a professional do in this situation?" And then a lot of times it will become clear. Right? I don't want to spend thirty dollars a month on this software. It's I'm going to do this, but you know, do I really? I can do that. This, you know, what would a professional do? Okay, well maybe a professional would get this thing because it'd be more automated and that type of thinking. So yeah, as far as like, if you're starting a podcast in a crowded space, I always like to remind people that, well, there's billions of blogs, but there's only millions of podcasts. So you got that going for you. And you probably have experience with podcasts that have changed your life in some way, maybe this show, right? That you're listening to right now. Think about the people that you could serve. Right, Think about them first by you not creating the content, by you not putting it out there, you're not serving those people that you could be helping. And I think that mindset takes the burden off of your thinking mind, you know the 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 doubter, the imposter syndrome, the fear-based thinking mind, and you're putting it back on sort of the people you're serving, not on them, but you're prioritizing them. you say, okay if I don't start to like, what if I started this thing, you know, even if I got, you know, hundred downloads a month, I could help a hundred people do X, Y, and Z. That's a good motivator. I think for me, at least I do it for the listeners. So otherwise the show wouldn't exist. If I didn't have that fuel, the back and forth, I mean, what would I be doing in here with a microphone by myself? It's, that's not the point. The point is to help people do a certain thing. So Keep that in mind because I think that's really strong. And then as far as marketing strategies, I mean, you talk about SEO and all these different things, but really in podcasting, I think it would be important to take a look at the niche you're going into and then trying to figure out how can you differentiate yourself from the shows within that niche, right? And don't think small, think big, right? Like, Take a look at the top 25, 50 shows in that travel. I mean, look at travel, a lot of those top 25 shows are, you know, about Disney or whatever. My podcast isn't about going to Disney World. (laughs) It's about travel as a lifestyle. Maybe that's a differentiator for me. It's not just destinations. I don't really cover destinations that much. I talk about lifestyle, the travel lifestyle, right? How do you build a lifestyle of travel? It's just when I started the show, there wasn't really anything like that. Now there's more stuff like that, but that's okay, you know? But you can look within your category and try to understand where... You might fit in and how you can make it a little bit different. Even though you might be interviewing like similar people or might be similar to X, Y, or Z show, how can you position it a little bit differently within that niche in a way that maybe has a chance to resonate with more people?
0: That's an awesome piece of advice, man. And we're going to link up your podcast in the show notes. I want everybody to go check it out, both to see examples of what you're saying, right? In terms of interview skills as well as amazing guests that were highly curated and really thoughtful episode production so i'm a big fan of zero to travel and we're going to link that up in the show notes I want everybody to go and subscribe to your show and and check that out cuz i think you're doing an amazing job with that and i want to ask you one more question before we move into the lightning round you are also putting together incredible live events, which obviously we're on hold for the COVID period, but they're going to resume. Can you talk a little bit about Camp Indie, what that involves and when the next one is?
1: (laughs) Well, this is the first one and we've been trying to have it for over two years. If you go to Camp Indie, I-N-D-I-E.com, we're running it September 17th to the 19th in Kent, Connecticut, 2021, just so... Everybody's on the same page because I don't know when you're listening to this, and we just decided. Well, how can we make the world's most fun and affordable conference? Let's do it at an adult summer camp, because you know we started talking about having an event. Like we, we love to bring the community together in person, right? We love to bring a bunch of unconventional traveler types like you, mavericks. Together because just magic happens. You don't have to do anything. You just get them in the same place. You're like, all right, well, we happen to be having like a bonfire and an 80s dance party and you know, all this cool stuff going on. And we're staying in cabins. This is going to be at this summer camp. But we started talking about having an event just to get cool people together, but we didn't want to have it at the hotel with the crappy coffee and stuff like that. So we're just like, well, we're just gonna have it at a summer camp. And so that's what we're doing. Now, yes, we are moving forward with the event. And thankfully this venue has been Uh, Running events throughout the entire pandemic. They have tons of events going on there every weekend. They have a whole system down for COVID testing and different things like that. So we feel really confident in our ability to keep everybody healthy and safe. And it's going to be badass. So if you want to go to bonfire parties with other cool people, you want to hear some talks on time, location, and financial freedom about the Triangle of Freedom, which is our theme for the event. We're having basically a theme like how to achieve time, location, and financial freedom in a new world. This is a crazy new world. We're not saying we're going to answer all those questions. We're saying we're going to explore that right? So we have a different theme that we're covering each day.
0: I mean, you have some powerhouse speakers. I have looked at your lineup, a number of which we know in common Maverick show listeners know Nora Dunn, the professional hobo, for example, who's been on the show, who's going to be speaking and a number of other just, I mean, powerhouse speakers. So it's an incredible lineup. But for folks that are interested in getting information on that and jumping up there, we will link up in the show notes exactly how they can get more information on it, brother. But that sounds absolutely incredible. Cool. All right. At this point, Jason, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Ready as I'm going to be. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) Sorry. That's your DJ. He's coming back.
0: How many drinks have we had so far? None. I've had one (laughs) here.
1: The lightning
0: round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend people check out?
1: A great book for everybody is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Who is one
0: person that's currently alive today that you've never met that you would most love to have dinner with? Just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation. Yeah, you know, I've
1: been thinking about this. This is a tough one. You know, first I started going to some different artists I respect, but then I'm like, well, if I meet them and they're jerks or something, it'll make ruin the music. I don't want to do that. And surprisingly, even surprising to myself, because I didn't know who I was gonna land on. Oprah Winfrey. Because first of all, she's one of the greatest interviewers of all time, speaking of the craft, right? I want to understand Oprah's energy, what it's like to just be in her presence, right? And to hear her ask questions and get to know somebody and how she does that and just have that exchange, that would be pretty cool. I mean, she's just talked to so many people. So I think she's got a very wide perspective on a lot of things. And assuming she was up for it, I think we would have a great dinner together.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right, Jason, knowing everything that you know now, if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Jason?
1: Don't be afraid to not do the quote-unquote normal thing.
0: Awesome. All right, of all the places that you have been in the world now, what are your top three? favorite travel destinations you'd most recommend people check out?
1: Argentina, Nepal, and the United States.
0: Wow. Awesome. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been highest on your list you'd most love to see.
1: This list is constantly fluctuating, but New Zealand's up there. I want to do the camper van, New Zealand. I'm going to loop Australia and New Zealand in just because I can because what are you gonna do? Try to stop me, man. I'm putting two countries on one.
0: Down under. We'll give you the whole region. Yeah. Okay. Thank you
1: very much. Australia, New Zealand. You know, I've been to Japan, but I've only been to Tokyo and it was only for a handful of days. So although I've been, Japan is pretty high up because I want to really explore Japan. I hope that's fair, even though I've I have been.
0: Very worthwhile, by the way. I've been back to Japan multiple times to a different place each time, and it's magical in totally different ways. So Mm. I highly endorse that.
1: Awesome. And I've heard wonderful things about the country of Georgia. I have not been to Ecuador yet, and I love South America. So I'm going to put Ecuador in that final spot.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, Ecuador also has the Galapagos Islands. So you have a lot of amazing opportunities in Ecuador. That is awesome. Good picks. All right, Jason, I want you to let folks know at this point how they can find you, follow you on social media, listen to the podcast, and learn more about Camp Indy and all the other amazing stuff you're up to. How do you want people to come into your world? You can go to zerototravel.com at zero
1: to travel.com, not the number two, to. And if you just click on podcasts or if search for the podcast in any of your podcast apps. And if you get to the podcast, you'll pretty much find everything else. And I know you have links to everything in the show notes, but that would be the main place to go. Unless you're just like totally tired of my voice right now, then you're probably like, I heard enough. One hour with this guy was enough. <laughs>
0: we are gonna link all of that up in the show notes folks can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com go to the show notes for this episode and there you'll see links to everything that jason and i talked about on this episode this was so amazing brother thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me good night everybody be sure to visit the show notes page at the Maverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at the Maverickshow.com.